So this story in 1 Samuel is a fascinating one for me for a lot of reasons. Um, But fundamentally, this is the moment where the people of Israel come to God and say, hey, we'd rather not have you as our king anymore. And, And it seems to me that just in general, those aren't usually you know, positive, happy conversations, right? Uh, Not many of us have ever had the experience of going to someone and saying, we don't want you to be our king anymore. Uh, But you can imagine how most kings might respond. Um, Our our country does have the experience of having that conversation, right? We went to King George III and and said, hey, we're we're done with this king thing. We want to rule ourselves. Uh, And and it didn't go well, right? Uh, I'm a big fan of the musical Hamilton. Uh, and there is a scene in Hamilton where King George III responds to the American colonies uh, after they have said, hey, we don't want you to be our king anymore. Uh, and he talks about his love for them. I'm going to play a little bit of the song. It's a little tinny, so I apologize. The recording isn't great. Um, but the, the king's expressions are priceless. Okay, I really um, have to say my family's favorite line in the entire Hamilton musical is, I will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. Um, So uh, if that's how a human king responds, right, you can imagine how we might expect God to respond, God who has claimed this people as his own and is ruling them as the king. Interestingly, God doesn't come back like that. God doesn't come back with judgment and retribution and punishment. He warns them, sure, of what they're asking for, uh, and then He simply allows them to get what they want. But I have to think that this moment is kind of like the original sin of the Israelite monarchy. That the idea of having a human king, we'll talk about Saul and David and Solomon, but the idea of having a human king is itself a rejection of God, of saying, God, we don't want you to be in charge of us anymore. We want to be like everybody else. And, and I think on some level, this is our original sin too, right? All the way back to the garden. God, I don't want to be um, your servant or your child or your subject or your son or your daughter in your terms. I want to be in charge. 
And so I want to think this morning about um, how we uh, maybe learn from the Israelites' mistake and are there some ways that we can recognize, even in our lives today, uh, that there is no king like Jesus, that there is no one who can do for us what Christ will do. Uh, and um, maybe um, we have a chance today to undo some of the original sin of the Israelite monarchy started way back 3,000 years ago. So I, I want to think about what, um, what they want to change and then, and then maybe how Jesus makes it right. Three things I hope you noticed that the Israelites say to Samuel they want out of a human king. Now, they get all the warnings, right, how bad it's going to be, but then they say, nope, we don't care. We want a human king. We want three things. And this is um, the very end of their conversation in verse 19, uh, verse 20 rather. Um, we want to be like other nations. We want our king to govern us. And we want him to go out before us and fight our battles. So let's unpack those. What does it mean to be like other nations? Uh, they want a king to govern us. They want a king to go out before us and fight our battles. Uh, that, that first one, I think, is really critical. They, they want to be like other nations. Uh, on some level, I think we can all understand this, right? I mean, on some level, everybody wants to fit in. We've all been in middle school at some point where the most terrifying thing in the world is to not be like everybody else, right? We really want to fit. Um, Jerry Seinfeld tells a joke. I don't know if it's true or not, but he says that the the greatest fear uh, of most people is public speaking, and the second greatest fear of most people is death. So he says, at a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than behind the pulpit, right? Why? Because the idea of standing out from the crowd of being observed and judged and considered and evaluated and not fitting into the group is terrifying, right? So we get that. But this is precisely why God called Israel in the first place. From the very beginning, all the way back to Abraham, the reason that God called Israel is He wanted them to be different. He says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and all other nations on the earth will be blessed through you. God doesn't say, hey, let's make another kingdom, but let's just make ours a little bit better than everybody else, right? Everybody else is, is level nine, we're going to be level ten. No, he says, I, I want you to be completely different. The whole world will be blessed through you because you're different, because you have this incredible connection with me, uh, because I won't just be your God, I will also be your king. I will be your ruler. And the world will see what it's like to live in community under the leadership of the one true God. God asked the Israelites to take this literally. And then at this point, they say, hey, God, could we make that more of a metaphor? Could, could we just, hey, you know, it's, it's, it's neat that you're our king and all, but let's just make that a metaphor. You be our God, and then we'd like to have a regular king because we want to be like everybody else. I think, unfortunately... Um, that we, like the Israelites, are inclined in this direction. I, I think, unfortunately, we sometimes say, hey, God, I know you're really great and big and awesome and wonderful, but could you take just a little bit of a smaller role in my life? It, it'd be great if you would just kind of 
kind of rein it in. I, I want to have more say. I feel like I'm in a good place right now. And, and give me the reins for a little bit. And then, God, don't worry. When things go wrong later, I will certainly ask you to come back in and help. I wonder, once you ask God to take a smaller role in your life, what comes next? There's an um, old expression, you know, a God in a box. Uh, and there's a skit by One Time Blind I love where uh, they kind of play out this idea. And one of the um, actors walks up to his friends and says, hey, I, I just had uh, an uncomfortable encounter. I was going uh, 75 miles an hour in a school zone and the police pulled me over. And they said, wow, that's 75 miles an hour. That's pretty terrible. Um, what were you doing? He said, well, I was in a hurry. Yeah, we, we figured that. What, 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 heck, what, what happened? Did you get arrested? No, I didn't. Why not? Well, I pulled this out and he pulls out a little box. He says, this is my God in a box. And I just pulled it open and I asked God to help me with that police officer, and God helped me with that police officer, and I didn't get in trouble, and he even apologized for pulling me over. And then when that police officer drove away, I just closed up my box, put God back in my pocket, and went on with my day. I think, boy, that's the end result, right, of asking God to get off the throne. The end result of asking God to stop being our king is we make him smaller and smaller and smaller until he fits in whatever little box we'd like to put him in, so that he becomes uh, a nice adornment to our larger life. Jesus isn't interested in being an adornment. Jesus isn't interested in a kingdom like other kingdoms. Jesus isn't interested in us fitting in. And interestingly, when he has this conversation with Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not from this world. Uh, If it was, my followers would be fighting to save me. In other words, he says, I'm not trying to blend in. I'm not trying to make another kingdom like all the other kingdoms, but a little bit better. I want to do something radically different, and I'm asking my followers to do it with me. Um, But Jesus is still interested in being both God and King. And I think as I look back on the history of the church, the greatest tragedies in our history largely come from those times where we have said, hey, you know what, Jesus, you be God, let us be king. We want to look like all the other nations. And so, yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I know the Muslims have conquered Jerusalem. Um, rather than responding like Jesus might respond, let's just send some armies and wipe them out. Yeah, I know there's a lot of Jewish people in Spain, and rather than responding like Jewish, Jesus would respond, let's just be like a regular country and either torture them or kill them till they convert or leave. Uh, even those places where, where we um, sort of didn't take a stand, a united stand as a church, right? uh, come back to this idea that we just wanted to fit in. Yeah, boy, I'm not sure how Jesus would feel about us taking people from another continent and moving them to Europe and America and making them slaves, but you know, Christians can disagree on this topic because we just want to fit in. What if we took Jesus seriously as both God and King? What if we weren't afraid of looking different? What if we said, Jesus, I want you to grow bigger, not smaller in my life. I want to be part of your radically different and strange nation, one that's not from or of this earth but challenges every kingdom from and of this earth. 
So first, the Israelites want to blend in, be like the other nations. Then they say, hey, we want a king to govern us. We want a king to be in charge of us, to run our nation. Uh, and, and remember, they had one. They had Yahweh. They want a human one. And, and I think this is, again, a common thing for us. There is a temptation toward um, wanting a human leader we can follow. The most extreme example of that comes uh, in the 1930s in Germany. We've talked before about the German Christian movement. Uh, but the German Christian movement in Germany was uh, an effort by a large number of Protestants to unify all the various German Protestant churches under the authority of the Third Reich, under the authority of Hitler. Uh, and their slogan was, one nation, one God, one Reich, one church. And they were pretty successful in that. Um, but there was a, a sizable number of Jewish, uh, Christian Protestants who rejected that theology. Uh, and, and they wrote, and we've read this before, in 1934, something called the Barman Declaration. And one of my favorite lines in that declaration, uh, these Christians said, we reject the false doctrine as though there were areas of our life in which we would not belong to Jesus Christ, but to other lords, areas in which we would not need justification and sanctification through Him. That's what the world was asking them to believe. Um, but again, I, I think this is a temptation for us today, right, to say, hey, God, yeah, I don't want you to govern everything. If you would just be in charge of these areas of my life, and then I'd like to, I'd like to govern other stuff myself. I, I have some pretty good ideas. Um, I, I don't really want you to be my king all the time. Maybe you could be more like my advisor. Right? Give me some advice. Let me know what you think, and then I'll make the decisions. By the way, um, this is, in my experience, very much like being married, where I have lots of good advice, and then Krista makes the decisions at the end of that conversation. Um, I think Samuel is saying Torah isn't helpful suggestions. Torah, God's law, God's commandments are not good advice for us. I think Jesus is saying the same thing. Um, please don't read the words of Jesus as helpful guidance that might get you through some difficult parts of your life. He is completely uninterested in you accepting Him as your advisor. He is only interested in being your king. And when your king speaks, you don't get to pick and choose which parts of his word you want to obey. John Calvin says, For the shortest source of destruction to men is to obey themselves. And the only haven of safety is to have no other will, no other wisdom, than to follow the Lord wherever he leads. But this then be the first step, to abandon ourselves and devote the whole energy of our minds to the service of God. We say, Jesus, we want you to govern all of me. Not uh, any aspect of my life will I hold back from you. Govern my friendships, govern my family, govern my career choices, govern my money, govern my free time, govern my health, govern my life, govern my death. Not as my advisor, but as my king. Uh, the last thing the Israelites say, uh, they, they want um, this new human king to do is to go before them and fight their battles. And, and this is ironic for a number of reasons. Uh, the first is um, God has been doing this throughout the history of Scripture. Right? What if 
when the Israelites were enslaved to Pharaoh, instead of having God as the king to fight their battles, they had elected a human and said, hey, you go fight Pharaoh. What human can turn the river Nile to blood? What human can stop the sun from shining in the sky when they're caught between the greatest army in the world and the deep Red Sea? What human could have won that battle? But again and again, God does go before them and fight their battles. We have so many promises in Scripture that God fulfills. And the Lord will fight for you. You only have to keep still, Moses says to the people, just before God parts the Red Sea and destroys Pharaoh's army. Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all the enemies against whom you fight as they entered the promised land and they overcame odds that were extraordinarily against them. Joshua says, One of you puts flight to a thousand since it is the Lord your God who fights for you as he promised you. But again, we make this same mistake. We say, "Uh, You know what? God, I think I need someone else to fight this particular battle. I think it's going to be this great politician that's going to change things in our country. I'm going to let him or her fight for me. God, I think it's going to be um, this, this huge investment I'm going to make that's going to change my story and my life in the world. And so, you know, I'm going to let my money fight for me. Uh, God, I think that I can solve this if I just put my shoulder to the grind and try hard enough. And so just out of my way, God, I'll take care of this one. And I worry that human-sized solutions to God-sized problems always come up short. There's another ironic part of this request. They say we want a king who goes before us and fights our battles. Uh, And I know that in history there are some kings who have gone on the front lines, right? I've seen the movie Braveheart, right? There's sometimes they go on the front lines and they fight. Um, But how often do kings go and fight the battles for their country by themselves. When's the last time that two presidents um, from different countries said, hey, let's not send the armies. How about you and I just go get in a boxing ring and whoever wins um, will, will win this fight? That never happens, right? Can you think of any time where a king has said, hey, I don't want to risk my army. I'll just go fight the enemy all by myself? Yeah, I, I can think of one. And Jesus is the only one who was willing to walk into the power of death alone and by his own strength and power overcome it for us. I believe God wants to fight for us. Um, I believe uh, that, yes, his kingdom is not of this world, so his fighting will not be to establish an earthly kingdom for us. It will be to bring heaven to earth for us. He's not going to fight who a human king would. He's not going to fight how a human king would. He's not going to fight when or where a human king would. Um, But he's going to accomplish what no human king can ever accomplish. And so this is the promise for us today uh, that we can look back at uh, the millennia of rejection beginning all the way back in 1 Samuel and, and continuing up to our life today where we have said, hey, God, you know, just take a little bit of a smaller role in my life. Hey, God, just be an advisor to me. Uh, Hey, God, um, I can handle this one. You take a step back. And we can say, I don't want to be part of a kingdom like that. I don't want to be part of a kingdom like that. I want a kingdom that's not from this world. I want a kingdom that doesn't look like every other kingdom. I want a kingdom where Christ 
grows in my life as God and as King. I want a kingdom that undoes the original sin of the monarchy and of the people and of humanity and puts God back on the throne where He belongs. If you want a kingdom like that, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are reminded today of the awesome power of the Savior Jesus Christ, that He, on His own strength, walked into death alone and overthrew it, walked into the power of sin and darkness and humiliated it and triumphed over it, nailing it to the cross. And so we pray, Lord, that today, unlike our ancestors and unlike ourselves in the past, we would cling to Jesus as God and as King. And you would show us what it looks like when a nation of people, uh, not defined by, by borders and language and ethnicity, but a nation of people defined by faith in Jesus Christ, takes its stand on the earth. Lord, we want to see all peoples on the earth blessed through us. All this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.